Hello and welcome to Connecting to Host, where this week we're discussing Don't Starve, Colon, Together. Uh, Don't Starve, Colon, Together is a 2D multiplayer roguelike survival game in which you must explore, scavenge and build to survive. Uh, Don't Starve Together is produced by a company called Clay, uh, spelled K-L-E-I, and is a standalone spin-off game based on the original Don't Starve uh, roguelike game, which you're probably familiar with um, it's available on all kinds of platforms. Uh, anyway, uh, Don't Starve Together is available on Steam, which is how we've been playing it, uh, at a price of either €14.99 or £10.99. Uh, and for that price, you actually get two copies of the game, which is pretty cool, because then you have one for yourself and you gift one uh, to a friend so that you can play together. Uh, so, John, what have you been playing the game on whilst we've been uh, not starving together? <laughs> well, I've pulled out all the stops for this game, obviously, because it needs all the power we can get. So I've got the 16 <laughs> gigs of RAM, the GTX 970 and the 4 gigahertz i7. You know, it's a good old 2D game. So. We don't normally do interjections in this uh, podcast, but I will point out that that sounds pity compared to... You know, 32 gigs of RAM and a GTX 1080 <laughs> in in triple SLI, which is what you, you need for this game. You wait two months. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been playing it on an iMac 5K, and because the graphical requirements for this game are so low, I have actually been playing it in full 5K, uh, which is nice for a change because it looks lovely. Uh, by default, it started me off at 1440, and I was like, oh, this looks nice. And then boost it up to 5K, and it's like, oh, oh, this looks really nice. It's got a really cool hand-drawn style, uh, kind of like someone's hand-drawn a load of stuff and then cut it out, and then they're animating sort of in stop motion, uh, kind of like the original South Park episode, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, the solo features of this game, like single player, uh, it is allegedly a multiplayer-only game, but I have seen people on YouTube playing it on their own and being able to complete it on their own. Uh, so if you're one of those people that's sort of stuck between buying Don't Starve or Don't Starve Together, I would say buy Don't Starve Together because you can play it solo as well as with friends. Uh, but basically, you're going to set up a server and play it with other people. Uh, so we're going to be analysing it, as always, from a co-op point of view. Uh, but everything that you can do in co-op, you can do solo on your own server if you want to um so for the purpose of the show there's no difference between solo and multiplayer cool uh given that i hosted most of the games i think it probably makes sense that i just quickly go over the multiplayer features in the game so uh the game supports up to six players at the same time although i've seen mods that support more the last i checked they weren't working but i suspect that <laughs> Maybe they will be again soon. So there are. I've seen a mod that supports up the. It was 32, and then dubiously 64. Uh, you can set your game to public so that anyone can join your world, or you can just allow your friends to join. You can play it locally on a LAN, I guess, or you can even set it so that only members of a certain Steam group can join, which is kind of cool because if you want to have a group of friends and just let them join your servers whenever they are, happen to be around, then you can do that. Uh, and then there's dozens and dozens of options to configure the world itself. So you can change all sorts of things, such as the length of the seasons, if the world wraps around, if you go on, off one edge or not, or whether it's all surrounded by water, um, whether there's caves in it with extra levels that you can explore, whether there's all, you know, you can turn off individual creatures if you think one of them unbalances the game. So in terms of customization, there's there's hundreds of options. Hundreds of options is actually a good way of describing the game in general, because it is a completely randomly generated world. Uh, the way I like to think of it, because I'm 
from the 80s, uh, is that I like to think of it as an advanced toe jam and earl. Uh, essentially, <laughs> you've got a very large randomly generated world. And when I say very large, I do mean it is huge. Uh, you can, from the start position, you've got like a fog of war around you, so you can't see anything at all. And you just, the way that we've played it is one of us will walk in each direction so john might go south i might go north and we'll walk for the whole day and still have maybe not covered even 20 percent of the length of the map uh, and then you have it east to west as well so it's a vast map uh, and completely randomly generated so you never know what you're going to find there um the whole theme of the thing is quite interesting and in that it's kind of i it's not really emo or steampunk. I'm trying to find the right word to describe what it is. It's got that kind, kind of, of limbo feel, right? That spooky. Yeah. It's like a 1920s shadow puppet <laughs> thing. I, I just can't articulate the right words for it. But it's really cool. It's got like a really cool soundtrack to it. <clears throat> There's like a macabre 1920s sort of haunting piano background to it. Really interesting, a very muted colour palette. Like, it's pretty much just beige and yellow and silver and white. Uh, and then red for berries. That's that's pretty much the only colour. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it's your typical roguelike, in a sense, because you are basically... Uh, the name of the game is what it is, Don't Starve Together. Uh, so your whole aim is to survive each night, basically, uh, by harvesting various goods, keeping yourself topped up in your meters for food and sanity and health and all these other bits and pieces, um, and then making it through the night, uh, and so on. So it's, it's a standard roguelike, but it's just done in a really nice way. They've there's something about the aesthetics, the music, everything altogether makes it stand out when there is so many roguelikes available on Steam at the moment. Cool. So I guess we can talk about the core mechanics and maybe discuss them a bit. And I mean, building on what you just said about the hunger, I guess at the core of the game, essentially staying alive is what you try and do. Yeah. Uh, and you have three meters. There's the hunger meter, there's the health meter, and then there's the sanity. Now your hunger meter goes down all the time so it's constantly ticking down so you have to keep trying to find food to top it up which maybe early on there's quite a lot but then you have to start finding ways of of making more food then there's your health which goes down when you take hits in combat or maybe do silly things like set yourself on fire <laughs> um and then the sanity is quite an interesting this definitely adds to that 1920s puppet feel you were talking about with the, <laughs> the dark and spooky world and that's um over time uh, not having any food and it being cold and you being on your own wears down your sanity and then you start to see the spooky things at night <laughs> yeah. or the screen goes blurry <clears throat> or uh, and I, I think eventually we've done a pretty good job in the I think we've played for about 12 14 hours so far we've done a pretty good job of keeping our sanity high because you can sleep if you make a bedding then you basically trade your hunger for sanity or your fullness for sanity. So we've done pretty good at that. But there have been times when my sanity's got dangerously low and these creatures have started to become very real. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and sometimes they hit you for a bit of damage, but then we've got our sanity back. So these kind of weird shadow and creatures. You, 
you kill them and get nightmare fuel, which mm. we've not found a use for, which there are probably people listening to this podcast that have played this game extensively that are kicking themselves, going, how do you not know what nightmare fuel is for? <laughs> it's key to the game. Uh, which is kind of one of the problems with this game, which we'll come to later, is that there is so much depth to it. It's incredibly deep. Um, <clears throat> but building on that, I mean, the other part, I mean, what you've talked about there is basically topping up the meters that you have, which is, you know, common roguelike behavior uh, the other side of the roguelike is exploration scavenging uh, so typically in the day you're going to be roaming around uh, finding stuff be it flint or mining rock or cutting down trees for wood or digging up berry bushes and replanting them so that they're near your base all that kind of stuff um, but then they've got a few interesting things such as uh, this sort of like different areas or biomes um, as you go around whereby uh, you might find a large uh, grassy area which has grass in it and beefalo which provides you with uh, <laughs> manure and various other benefits um, or there might be a rocky area which just has rocks or a swamp area which just has wet tentacles of death and reeds which are incredibly hard to find so there's <laughs> kind of a cool way they divvy up the area that is given to you but as it's randomly generated you never know what you're going to get so quite often we've played through it and gone like god we've never seen this area before or this type mm. of thing uh, like there's a whole area where there's like clockwork animals we've hardly ever seen that i think we saw it the first game but not since um, and the other part of it is that there are these things called wormholes which are basically large teeth in the ground uh, that we sort of tentatively looked at and said, should we go into it? And we thought, yeah, might as well. And when you jump in, you appear at the other end of map somewhere, um, which is kind of cool. It's like a little teleportation thing, um, but you don't know where you're going to turn up, so you might just appear in the middle of a fight between fish people and pigs, <laughs> which sounds weird, but <laughs> It's pretty weird, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> totally makes sense after you've been playing it for hours. I feel my sanity meter has dropped playing this game. <laughs> I constantly wake up in the night thinking, "Oh my god, we're gonna we're gonna get more rock." <laughs> <laughs> I think the biomes are cool because even though the world's randomly generated, you can end up coming back and thinking, "Ooh, this is the kind of savanna plains grassy biome." That means there could be beefalo here. It's not guaranteed, but. You want to find the beefalo because they're a good source of manure. So I really like the fact that you can you can find a biome and expect certain things in it, but it's not always guaranteed. That's a yeah. Like the last time we played, uh, we got to a grassy area expecting to find rabbits and beefalo, as we had the last four games. But instead, we found grass lizards, mm. and when you walk up to them, they basically shat themselves and left grass <laughs> behind, which was novel. Uh, <laughs> so it's like ah, oh, even after. 12 hours of gameplay we're still finding new creatures we've never seen before in an area we've visited many times before <laughs> but i guess it'd be remiss of us to i mean 10 minutes in and we haven't talked about the crafting yet which i guess oh. is it's pretty much the the core mechanic i mean uh that you actually of the things you actually do and that is you pick up you scavenge trees uh, logs from trees or grass or twigs or gold or rocks or flint and then you use that to craft the tools you need to succeed further in the game so for instance you can use twigs and flint and you can make an axe which then lets you cut down trees so you can get wood and then you can use the resources to make things like a pick so you can mine from rocks uh, a shovel so that you can dig up certain things or as other tools as well maybe we shouldn't spoil all of them um 
And then these all, and then obviously you kind of got your set of base elements and then you might use them to build a fire so you can start to have a base. And that's when the game starts to come alive really because you start to, you pick your place that you're going to have your base and then you have to build a certain item which lets you basically build a whole bunch more items. So you kind of have to have your base because you can only build the more advanced items when you're near the science machine. Um, so that inherently makes you pick an area where you're going to camp and then you can start building all sorts of crazy stuff. But that's, uh, I mean, a lot of the fun of the game is exploring what you can build. So we probably shouldn't say too many of them, but there's yeah. probably a hundred, if not 150 different items you can build. And some of them range from just better weapons. Some of them you kind of build it and go, now I have to figure out what the fuck this is for. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, you kind of, I, I really, you know, I really like that um, old fashioned game where you, you don't get, necessarily a helping hand there's it could definitely help you a bit more with the ingredients because you just get little icons and sometimes you get confused between like charcoal and ashes that bit i don't like but what i really like is that you build something and then you have to figure out how to use it i think that really matches the uh sort of stranded on an island feel (laughs) because i know if i was stranded on an island i might be able to build a basic rabbit trap and i'd be like now what <laughs> how am I actually going to get a rabbit in it? Um, how to lure it? Yeah. So I, I like the fact it makes you think, even though it's a very you know cartoon art style and all that, it makes you think kind of within its own set of rules. You have to you have to come up with more ideas, and you're like, ah, oh, it is I, very much set like in our world. So things are logical. It's not like a LucasArts point and click. It's not mm. like completely unfathomable. There is like magic and a few weird bits. But generally, things like, oh, well, if I put food in the trap, it's going to be more likely to lure animals. And yeah. sure enough, if you select food near a trap, there is an option to bait the trap. And it's like, okay, well, that makes sense. But because the interface is so fluid, because uh, you can go up to any object and an unlimited amount of text options can appear, it's very difficult to know what is and isn't possible. And therefore, there is a huge amount of scope and probably a huge amount we have not seen or experienced. Mm. One of the things we should probably mention as well, talking about exploring and crafting, um, is the fact that when we've played, we've generally sort of uh, turned into like a, a standard nuclear family, whereby one of us stays at home and builds the base while the other one explores and <laughs> does the hunter-gatherer thing. Uh, so typically one of us has always stayed at a base and sort of built it and done farming. They've basically played an advanced game of Farmville while the <laughs> other one is off finding hopefully whatever they need. So on our uh, game chat, you'll hear me saying, what do you need today, John? And you'll be like, I-, I need rocks, get me rocks. And then I'll go off with like two picks over my shoulder and come back with like 50 pieces of rock. And he's like, did I say rock? I meant wood. Uh, <laughs> And hopefully I've I've got some food ready for you when you come home. Otherwise, you get angry. <laughs> Otherwise, it's straight in the kisser. <laughs> <laughs> Back of the hand for me. Ah, comedy, domestic violence aside. Uh, <laughs> other core mechanics. Um, there is a full... Not only is there like a day-night cycle, um, so there are three parts to a day. There is daytime where there's full light and everything's awake and normal. Uh, Then you have dusk, where things tend to go to sleep, other animals like pigs and beefalo and such, uh, and that's pretty much when you know that you need to start heading back. (laughs) Uh, And then night is when it's just pitch black 
and if you don't have a light source, you're going to die uh, <laughs> very quickly. Um, even if you do have a light source, you might die because there are hounds that come and get you, mm. um, which is always fun. Uh, <laughs> but generally, those are the three parts of the day. But aside from the day-night cycle, there's also a seasonal cycle. Yes, and I think that's uh, a longer-term sort of progression which is kind of nice so you've got the daily thing where you have to keep thinking about it but then over time i think the game always starts in summer autumn or autumn okay uh because summer has its own special things that we haven't even seen yet we haven't survived that long uh but a season is something like 15 to 20 days in the game right maybe 22 um i'm not sure that's how long it's taken us to get to winter yeah. I was going to say, like, we've seen many days and nights, but only two seasons. Because <laughs> uh, we typically get to winter, then die. Um, it's very much like Game of Thrones in that regard. <laughs> winter is coming. But the difference is quite interesting because the different seasons bring their own challenges. So the first season, autumn, starts off reasonably normal. There's not, I mean, obviously it's normal because it's what you usually play the, the game as for the first yeah. five times you play. But most things work as you expect but then winter appears and you start to get cold if you spend too much time away from the fire and if you start to get frostbite then you take damage sort of over time reasonably quickly um so you have to start thinking about building items to counteract that so you might have a woolly hat for instance or other items um and then other creatures appear that you haven't seen before which is also nice because it adds some progression to the game so you've been playing it for I guess 20 days is a, is a couple of hours. And assuming that you stayed alive that long, you start to see new things. So there's penguins and, and ice and snow and, and all the other sort of crazy stuff that you expect with winter. And that's kind of cool. And all your things that you've been using up to now to stay alive may not work as well because there aren't so many rabbits to catch or you know, it's harder to grow crops in the, yeah. in the winter. So I think that's a really nice way of progressing the game because the problem with roguelites can often be eh, now what? <laughs> you know, yeah. You've played for 10 days, 20 days, and you're like, eh, we're done. There's nothing, you know, I can explore more. So it's a really nice way of mixing the game up and, and keeping things turning around and stepping up the challenge because all of a sudden you have to worry about the cold, which is something you haven't worried about before. So. It jumps up a notch when you get mm. to winter. It, uh, it really does. And that's it's why difficult. we haven't survived winter yet. That's why we haven't. We're getting better every time. <laughs> But it is difficult. Uh, anyway, I suppose the final core mechanic to talk about is uh, characters. Um, so you can pick which character you want to play as. Now, in the original Don't Starve game, which is available on, I think, practically probably every platform apart from the Wii U, realistically. Even the um, Vita. I it's mean, even it's on the everything. Vita. Yeah. iPad and iPhone have it. Um, I don't think the Apple TV does, which is a shame. But still, <laughs> um, in the original Don't Starve, you only have one character whose name escapes me, but it doesn't really matter. Wilson? Wilson, that's the one. Of course, the neighbour from uh, Home Improvement. Uh, <laughs> how could I forget? Uh, so, uh, 80s aside. Uh, so you only have that character and then you unlock them as you play. In Don't Starve Together, you get every single character they've ever released automatically for free at the beginning. Uh, which led to a very amusing start for us <laughs> because I just chose the default character, Wilson, who doesn't really have anything plus or negative. And you chose a character which was like a... He's super good at chopping wood or something. He was like a lumberjack. Yeah. And did we know that when there was a full moon, he'd turn into a beaver? 
<laughs> and couldn't do anything unless he ate wood. Other than uh, eating loads of trees, yeah. Yeah, which is different. And there's um, lots of surprises like that I feel in the characters. We haven't we haven't found them all yet, which is kind of fun. But No, we've only dabbled very loosely. The characters all have various apart from Wilson, who is just like straight cut through the middle, everyone else has like sufficient positives and negatives. So you might have a character that starts with a lighter so they can instantly have access to fire whenever they need it. Problem is they might just randomly start setting fire to stuff, <laughs> which you don't want in your base. Uh, or there's one creature that is just a monster, and so you literally start as a spider and everything's scared of you, but you can't go insane. And it's like, uh Trying to... <laughs> I think trying to balance all the characters at the beginning is difficult because you don't know how the game is until you start so you're much better off just starting as wilson or similar the first couple of characters you find um if you're going to start playing as the advanced ones like uh the monster the spider guy uh that's probably not a good idea because you're not going to get a good idea of the mechanics of the game playing as something like that where you're very limited similarly this one that's like really good at fighting but she can only eat meat and it's like well (laughs) That's difficult. Yeah, that would <laughs> that, not be a good first game. <laughs> that makes for a difficult game. Um, there's also unlockables as well. Like randomly, we get given gifts that you can open where you get like a different piece of clothing, which doesn't do anything. I mean, there are pieces of clothing that do do things in the game that you make yourself. Uh, these are purely cosmetic. So if you want Wilson to walk around in a tutu, you can. It makes no <laughs> difference to the game. But, you know, uh, so you do get random unlockables. But I think that's pretty much the core mechanics of the game is there anything you want to yeah so i am a massive fan of game modding just overall uh we might have i don't know if we mentioned it before because only torchlight 2 was moddable but anything with modding i absolutely i think that's a great initiative when they do it um partly because i'm a game developer and i did years of modding before becoming one so but um but just starve no don't starve together and the original both have extensive modding capabilities which is amazing so because the game is written in lua they have opened up an awful amount of the game to the lua scripting which you can use in mods so you can install both server-side mods that will affect all the players um well i think maybe the players have to install them as well but um yeah you can have server-side mods and then you can have client mods so even if the server doesn't have it running for instance you can have the minimap mod which makes a duplicate of the map, which normally you have to push a key or a button on your controller to bring up. And it actually makes a small version of it in the top corner of the screen. And the mod can have options so you can change the size of the minimap, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, pretty, pretty unique that your mod can even have options in the game. And there's a mechanic for doing that. So that's really cool. And there's loads and loads of character mods. I imagine most of them are kind of broken in terms of balancing. But if you're... If you've been playing this game for 50 hours and you want to mix it up, then you can drop in Gollum or probably <laughs> Batman and Iron Man and shit like that. <laughs> yeah. um, haven't tried out the character mods because I know just looking at them that most of them are broken. And I think we should get our full enjoyment out of the game first before we start playing the broken characters. But the minimap mod, that was a... You should just get that. That should be part of the game. Um, yeah. Equally, I think you've got... You've got Where's My Beefalo, right? <laughs> yeah, Where's My Beefalo. <laughs> so uh, the map usually shows you like animals you found. So if you've walked across a spider den, on the map it'll say, 
here was the spider den you walked past. Uh, and if you find pigs, it shows them, and various other things it shows. But beefalo, it doesn't, uh, which is kind of irritating because they're kind of the most important thing, <laughs> in our opinion, for playing a good game. Uh, mm. So this mod simply adds where the beefalo are when once you've found them it doesn't tell you where they are all the time i mean there are mods that help you a little bit too much like telling you which way is north where there is an <laughs> item you can craft to do that um, and obviously you get the usual roguelike things like they've changed the balancing so like oh we don't think you need 20 wood to make this thing you only need five so here's a mod to do that or here's a mod to increase your backpack size but the point of it is i mean these are all free mods that you can install that do pretty much anything you want in the game. So if you are playing solo and you do want extra pouch space because it is harder on your own, then have it. Why not? <laughs> or if you want the interface to have actual values assigned to it, because things like uh, your amount of health is just a bar that goes up and down. There's no value. Um, so if you want it to show, oh, you have 50 health out of 80 uh, there is a mod to do that. And I think, you know, that's ridiculously powerful. Uh, it's a nice way of changing the game to suit how you want to play it. Mm, and I had a look at the modding capabilities myself, and I tried to add a sword, which I drew on my iPad Pro, which is kind of cool. Um, I need to finish that at some point, because I felt like I got very close. <laughs> you know, when you I start need... modding a new game, you have to break the back of it. And it was going to be balanced as well. But the the tools are really good, and, and just looking through them, you could add new biomes, new creatures, and they'd all be randomly generated. So you could make the rules for them to be randomly generated in the, in the world. So it's not like you'd have to have a mod on and you always see it. You can just have more content and have it subtly introduced in random games, which is really cool. And and my sword is going to be awesome when it's done. <laughs> a brief aside, but I think your headstone will have, I could have finished this <laughs> engraved on it. Like, I just need a bit more time and I'll finish this. That'll be your epitaph. I can, I, can, I agree. <laughs> and we should probably add your epitaph too. Uh, don't starve together as a mod. As a mod, I love it. So when you find the gravestones, you just find J-Dub's, J-Dub's headstone. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Anyway, co-op specifics. Uh, so, I mean, we talked pretty much about this. Uh, it is at its core a multiplayer game. There's no real difference to the solo. Um, I think whether you want to play it on your own or multiplayer, you have to basically set up a server. So one player is going to host and then others can join. Um, and as... John mentioned earlier you can set a multitude of options uh, you can add a password if you need to or you can limit it to just your friends or steam friends or steam groups or whatever it might be so it's very easy to set up um, and also the host can save the game so you can all resume it later on together uh, so the save state if one of you drops out it doesn't stop for everyone mm. you are pretty much left to the whims of host uh, so whoever is hosting the game is in control of save state that kind of stuff um, do you want to talk about the caves and multiple servers and stuff because i didn't really understand that yeah yeah so um something which we found recently and haven't actually run a game with yet which is a shame because on the vita i've played with this feature and it's kind of cool but in the don't starve you can add caves i say you can add it they're on by default and then you when there's the teeth in the ground you don't know whether it's a wormhole or a cave but the cave world is a whole other world. <laughs> so you drop down into it, and then obviously it's always it's always dark down there, but then I I haven't really survived down there very long on the Vita, so I don't know what's down there. <laughs> but I guess the treasures are better down there. 
but it's much harder to survive. Uh, now, in Don't Starve Together, the reason why it's turned off by default is because the host has to basically run two separate servers if you want to have caves enabled because you go down to the caves and it switches you from one server to another. Now, obviously, they both run on your machine. You don't have to do anything. You just click start game and they both run. But it's just, um, I think the game wants to make sure it can run on as much hardware as possible. So if you were running it on something which had min specs and you decided to turn caves on and you chose to host, then maybe running two simulations and the client, which is essentially what happens when you when you connect to a game which is on your own machine, uh, might be a bit much, and then people would start to see lag, and and that wouldn't be fun. So I guess they turn it off by default because they want to make sure you can always play the game. But actually, yeah. if you've got a bit of a powerhouse like uh, like like I have for a gaming PC, and like many of us, yeah, soon You're to be ten eighty nine seventy. <laughs> soon soon but yeah if you've got a powerhouse of a machine then running with the cave should be no problem at all um so we're definitely going to turn that on for the next game that we start which will probably be in about 10 minutes <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, it's, um uh, one other thing to to note i guess just in the co-op side of things is that you can choose so obviously you can play public or with just your friends but you can also turn pvp on and off so if you've got an open game where you don't mind people just dropping in uh, then you, could, you can decide if you want them to kill you or not. And we had one cool game where we accidentally left the thing on public instead of friends because we mm. generally like to play together. And two random people joined the game. We never saw them because we'd obviously gone many screens away from the start point, set up our camp. And then three days later, five days later, they dropped out. And we just found their bodies another five days later, which is kind of cool, you know? That was the best bit, was finding their bodies and all of their loot. And mm. it's like, well, we're going to eat tonight. <laughs> it's like, we don't know who they were or anything. They just dropped into the game, played for half an hour, died, and then eventually we found their bodies. It's like, huh, cool. I'll take so that, that big was, X. Thank that you. That is pretty awesome. Uh, cool. Right. Well, we should get to our likes and dislikes and final comments i guess so likes do you want to kick us off yeah sure i mean we've mentioned <clears> it quite a lot but i just i love the art style you know i mean uh it's not it's not massively complicated but i love the it's obviously got this hand-drawn feel and i like the way that the edges are still kind of rough so everything's got that kind of hand-drawn slightly pencily outline which makes it for a really nice style and it really fits the kind of spooky feeling of the game um, while imagined... also looking good without being 3D, say. Yeah, if you imagined an illustrated book of Edgar Allan Poe's stories, that would be mm. this game. And that ties into the modding because it makes it very easy to add extra characters because you don't need to be good at 3D modeling. All you need is like a couple of flat images. So most of the, at least the top-rated mods that I've seen, like the Gollum one, it really looks like it's been designed by the developers. It just fits right in with the art style because of the way that the illustrator that came up with that particular mod has done it. Mm, so it yeah. leads to a lot more flexibility. Like if you want to add a sword, you're just adding a couple of 2D images. You're not adding something 3D, which does make a, a large jump in skill set for modders in my experience. Definitely, definitely agree. And when I sketched my sword on the iPad Pro, I, I did that in 20 minutes. And I'm, I'm not not really an artist. Uh, I dabble in my spare time, and I, it came out pretty good, I think. So, yeah. Well, we'll see when you finish it. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> yeah. 
You heard it here, folks. 2017. <laughs> the year of the sword. sword. <laughs> I believe it is the Chinese year of the sword. <laughs> uh, um, tying into the art style, I really liked the music and the audio. Like The music is great. It's like a proper uh, like piano, like mm. quite haunting. Um, I would try and rendition it with my voice, but there's no need to. So <laughs> just... just buy the game and see for yourself it's really good but then when you play there's actually no music at all it's just mm. sound effects and it's odd for me to comment on it because i hadn't really noticed until i thought consciously about it but there is no music it's just sound effects of like you hammering or using your pick but then when you encounter an enemy and they start <laughs> fighting you then you get a little bit of music but it's more orchestral than piano it's weird mm. Um, and the sound effects for creatures are great, like the spiders jumping at you. It's got this great noise that goes with it. It's terrifying. Uh, and you can hear, like, wolves howling. Uh, sorry, hounds howling, uh, which is when you know that you're about to die, basically. Uh, <clears throat> so it's cool, and there's, like, this nice clockwork sound effect as the sanity ramps up. Uh, so really good use of uh, both background music when necessary, uh, and just sound effects in general makes it a really, really nicely polished game. You wouldn't believe it was like a, a an. In, I'm assuming it's an indie studio, uh, but you wouldn't think that this was an eleven pound game. It mm. has a, a much higher quality than that. And uh, I mean, another thing that I really liked was the exploration. And I mean, both that in terms of exploring a randomly generated world, because because yep. like I said earlier, there's the biome, so that means exploring it. You start to learn the patterns even even though it's randomly generated, which is really cool, but also just the mechanics. I mean, yes, I guess we should apologize. We kind of spoiled a few, but there are dozens and dozens more for you to explore with and, and find out as you go along. And we purposefully saved, you know, saved some of the best so you can, you can get into it. And if you start out completely fresh, I mean, even if you've listened to this, you'll probably only remember a quarter of the actual game mechanic facts. Um, then your first few games might feel a little bit frustrating because you just die. <laughs> yeah. um, but beyond that, I really loved it when you start to get competent and you're your second or third game and you survive a week and you start thinking, right, now I can build a few things. Oh, no, what's this? Um, and then well, that's after, one of the nice... after a while, you, you just learn more of the crafting patterns. So you start seeing what's valuable much quicker. And... Um, and then you know what to look for, what to build first, and you can get good grounding and then live longer and longer. So I like that. That's one of the nice things about playing together as well is that we could go off in completely different directions, find, uh, do a lot more exploration, um, and then we'd sort of say things like, oh, yeah, yeah, meet me back here. Uh, if you head up to the portal and then go due east mm. uh, <laughs> until you hit a forest area, and then you want to go down just a little bit until you get to a rocky area, and then go due north until you get to the field. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting that there is no way to see the other player. I mean, there are mods mm. that add that, but <clears throat> the map only shows you when the player is like pretty much on your screen. Uh, so there is an awful lot of communication required in order to communicate where exactly you are uh, and how to get back to where you are, uh, which makes it really interesting actually like even silly things like you can rotate the map round mm. but there's no north direction unless <laughs> you have the compass so if you rotate the map round and then the other player is saying come down here you won't know what they're talking about <laughs> so they have to kind of describe the map to you but because where you go clears the fog of war differently for each of you it doesn't clear for both of you 
that in itself makes it hard because you could be saying, okay, come down to hit the graveyard and then go there, but they've not seen the graveyard, so they don't know where that is. Uh, and it's it makes it both frustrating and enjoyable. Yeah, I still think it's... Mo- it, I mean, the exploration overall is alike, and even that, I think, is, is alike. But yeah. yeah, maybe really early on it's slightly frustrating, but I definitely like it overall. No, it leads to communication, which in a game which is primarily co-op, it should be. Hmm. Um, I guess the, the one like I wanted to mention is... The game does have full controller support, um, and this has worked flawlessly for me um, on the Mac. And I know you've been playing with a controller on Windows as well. Mm, um, yeah, it's quite really tight. often. Quite often, we find that controller support only works well on Windows, and then on the Mac, it's kind of like it might work. Uh, <laughs> but I've had no problems at all. In fact, one time I forgot to turn my controller on, and I was like. I don't know how to work this game. And I was using the the mouse and keyboard and then I was like, no, we need to restart because I need to turn my controller on because I've got no idea what I'm doing now. Uh, So yeah, it's a a good bonus from me. It's nice that that support is in at the start. So dislikes, I guess. My biggest dislike, um, I would say probably in maybe three out of the four games we've played, maybe, maybe less than that actually um i've been the one at home building stuff and i found it very difficult to know what to craft purely because the menus are you've basically got tabs down the side uh, so you might have fire food um science magic clothes whatever it might be uh, and then when you select one, you then get a horizontal bar, which you can scroll through to see all the different things mm-hmm. that you need. And all it will show you is the icon for the item you need. So if you select science machine, for example, it will show something like two gold. Obviously, that's gold because it looks like gold. <laughs> uh, it might show how much stone. Again, obvious. But then it shows two gears. And you're like, what is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> and there's no way of like highlighting it to say, what is this thing and where do I find it? Uh, which makes it incredibly difficult sometimes. Um, and also you can only craft with what you're holding. So if you're in your base area and you've got 15 stone on the floor or in a chest and something requires stone and you're only holding two, then you can't build it. And you're like, I'm sure I had some stone. And then so you spend you spend an awful lot of time just sort of wandering around your base, picking up all the random <laughs> flotsam and jetsam you've picked up, picking it up and dropping it down just to see what you could build and what you can't, trying to work out what you should build next. Like, do I need a drying rack? Does, is that going to help me? I don't even know what it is. What does it do? So that's frustrating because it kind of feels like if I spent 20, 30 hours with this game, I would know what every item does. I would know what every item's components are, and it would be fine. But as a beginner... It's frustrating is the only way I can describe it because you feel like you've had an entire day. I'm there going, should I build this? Should I build that? Do I need to do this? Do I need that? And then you're back. And you're like, I'm here. I've got all this stuff. And it's like, oh, I've, I've done nothing. <laughs> I've done absolutely nothing with my day. I've been fighting with the menu. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my biggest dislike. I, mm. I would like to see a mod whereby I can clearly see what is required and the name of it so i know exactly what it is because when you pick stuff up in the real world it doesn't have an icon it looks like something but it doesn't necessarily look like its icon like nitra i still don't know what nitra is used for (laughs) um and because i'm looking at stuff in a menu i don't know if what i'm looking at is gold or nitra because they're kind of similar icons and it's a mess (laughs) it's a mess but time will improve it yes Yes, I agree with that, and um, 
and I, I guess it's maybe links a little bit to the next point, which is there's a little bit of lack of direction, I guess. So yes, I really enjoy the exploration and find it trying to stay alive, but beyond that, it's hard to necessarily. Sometimes you sort of go, now what? Um, you're like, I've got a pretty good thing going, and I'm, I'm going to be alive for a few days. Now what? And you're like, I guess I'll just build some random stuff because... Prepare for winter. Yeah, I don't necessarily know what to do next. And it's not a huge dislike. I mean, I, I, I we obviously love the game because we want to play it more. Um, but that's definitely one thing that I find sometimes. I'm like, okay, I might be kicking around the base. You're out exploring. Like, I don't really have anything to do. <laughs> you know, everything's pretty good at the moment. So, <laughs> It's definitely one of those games where you're going to have to die a lot in order to know what to do next. Like in the last game, we thought we were doing really well because we built stuff like hats and clothes and heating stuff in order to prepare for winter. And then winter came and it kicked our ass just as it had the previous few times. We survived slightly longer, but those days were miserable Yeah, um, because we had no food. <laughs> so it's difficult to know what to do next is definitely a, a valid concern um i mentioned this as a negative just because we haven't got there uh, but i'm not sure if there is an ending or not i believe there is i think once you get to a certain number of days hmm. it'll be like congratulations you survived and then you can continue playing if you want to i know a number of roguelikes that do work that way um I assume that's how this works, and I'm pretty sure I've heard that that is the case, but I don't know because we've not got there. So I dislike that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be kind of nice if there was something to attain for, like if you knew what the, what you were going, gunning for at least a bit at the start. Yeah, I mean, I could probably do it by looking on YouTube and finding a spoiler and being like, oh yeah, if you get to day 60, then you survive, and then we'd know. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea if that's the case or not. So, <laughs> so yeah. I guess this one final comment from me, and that's just that... Um, We've mentioned this loads, so I'll make it really brief, but it's got a steep learning curve. So you'll die a lot the first few times. Yeah. Uh, and that's just part of the game. And I, I, it's fine. It's, that's why it's neither a like or a dislike. I like the exploration, but it can be frustrating the first few times that you play. It's like, oh, I'm like five days in, I've died. Then you get seven days in and died. And because it's, you know, seven days takes 40 minutes of gameplay or something. You basically got to do it all again. You know what this game reminds me of more than anything uh, is SimCity. <laughs> um, in an odd way admittedly I like to bring in a tangential game when we discuss these things uh, but it reminds me of SimCity for the simple reason that the first few times you play SimCity uh, you're going to make no money and your city's going to be absolute <laughs> shit and it's going to be overrun by crime polluting industries and you won't be able to build a skyscraper to save your life. Um, and it's only when you spend a good 10 hours watching YouTube videos on how to build the perfect city that you go, huh, I never knew about that. Or, oh, I didn't even know that option existed. Or, oh, okay, that's cool. Never even seen that before. And this is much the same due to its random nature, uh, is that you just watch a couple of YouTube videos and you're like, huh, okay, I never knew that if I... For example, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but I don't think it does because there's so much to this game anyway. So I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, if you dig up a graveyard and get gems, if you give them to the pig king, he'll give you gold. And it's mm. like, okay, never would have thought of that. Or you can use X tool to do something. It's like, oh, okay, never knew that. That would have been useful to know up front. Um, so once you've watched a few YouTube videos, you get a bit more experience under your belt, as well as playing a couple of games. So you come back to it better 
and more excited to try it again. Like nearly every time we've played it, we've finished and then I've come back or you've come back and said, oh, did you know you could do this? And then we get excited <laughs> about the game again and we play it again just to see, to use that skill that we've just learned. Mm. Uh, so it's very much like SimCity for me for that reason. So it'll be something that you'll either love because you like that kind of open-ended game with lots to explore, lots of different uh, systems all interlinking with each other, or it'll be a game you absolutely hate for that very reason. That you want <laughs> something more structured, you want a tutorial, you want defined missions, and you want a defined end. Mm. That's not this game. <laughs> cool. So, final review. Would we play it again? Well, we're going to play it again as soon as we stop recording this. So I think that's a resounding yes. Uh, and would we recommend it? Most definitely. I mean, like you say, if you're looking for something with a definitive story or an ending, then, then maybe not. But if you like roguelike games or exploring something a bit old-fashioned, definitely. It's awesome. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Especially for £11 for two copies. I mean, just play it with your friend. As a co-op experience, it's, it's even better, I think, than single player. So, I think the two copies thing is really cool. I love the fact that you can buy it once and then you have a free copy of the game to give to someone else to sort of guilt them into playing it with you. That's a, <laughs> that's a clever marketing strategy. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, you can check us out on our website, connectingtohost.co.uk, where you can listen to past episodes, etc. Um, you can suggest games for us to try on Twitter. Uh, we're available at CTHcast. Uh, if you can leave us a review on iTunes, if you have the time, then we greatly appreciate it because it gets the podcast recognised a bit more. Uh, but thank you very much for listening. We enjoy all feedback and we hope you'll listen to us again soon. Thank you. Goodbye.